Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. In the passage just preceding this passage, Jesus is with his disciples in a house in Genesaret, a village near the Sea of Galilee. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, of Syrophoenician race, she begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then Jesus said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. In Texas, vehement castigations of critical race theory are being thrown around when a last grasp at holding on to white supremacy is what was actually passed in the legislature. This bill seeks to deny our hard truths, our painful history, the ongoing oppression. But denying the painful truths of history leads to repeating them. We have the capacity to hear the stories, to believe people of color, to remember. And most importantly, knowing the truth of oppression, we can see what must change. In Texas, 
Buzzwords like sanctity of life are being thrown around when control and power are the real goals. As Methodist minister David Barnhart notes, the unborn are a convenient group of people to advocate for. They never make demands of them. They're morally uncomplicated, unlike the incarcerated, addicted, or the chronically poor. They don't resent your condescension or complain that you're not politically correct. Unlike widows, they don't ask you to question patriarchy. Unlike orphans, they don't need money, education, or childcare. Unlike aliens, they don't bring all that racial, cultural, and religious baggage that you dislike. They allow you to feel good about yourself without any work at creating or maintaining relationships. And when they are born, you can forget about them because they cease to be unborn. You can love the unborn and advocate for them without substantially challenging your own wealth, power, or privilege, without reimagining social structures, apologizing, or making reparations to anyone. In Texas, charges of voter fraud are being levied while there is no evidence that voter fraud is a problem. The problem is a lie. And the solution is disenfranchised voters, especially low-income voters and voters of color. In Texas, buzzwords like my body, my choice are being thrown around when it comes to masks and vaccines, but completely ignored when it comes to the bodies of those of us who can become pregnant. There's a high level of hypocrisy when pro-life is applied to a fetus. A gun violence is given free reign with a law that means guns are even more accessible, even though we know that in places where guns are more accessible, gun violence is more prevalent. This is not about life. It's about power and control. It is not pro-life to deny people health care. It's not honoring the sanctity of life to make it easier to get guns. It's not pro-life to refuse to wear a mask and refuse to get vaccinated. It's not honoring the sanctity of life to try to keep people from voting. It is not pro-life to ignore the living children who suffer from food insecurity and abuse. It is not honoring the sanctity of life to appropriate my body, my choice, maliciously to try and equalize two distinct issues, collapsing the fundamental difference between a pandemic, a public health crisis, and a personal, private medical issue. It is not valuing the sanctity of life to deny the history of abuse and oppression of people of color in this country, nor to reject the clear evidence that it's part of the very fabric of our current society. Just before this morning's scripture reading, we find these words spoken by Jesus to his disciples. He said, it's what comes out of a person that defiles, for it's from within from the human heart 
that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. For the Gospel of Mark, it's these words about the human heart that lead into the story of Jesus' encounter with the Syrophoenician woman. An encounter where Jesus speaks from his heart and shows himself to be racist. Jesus sent out and went away to the region of Tyre. The Bible is clear about why he's going to Tyre. It says, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Jesus wants a break. He sets his email to out of office. He logs out of Facebook. He gets off Twitter and TikTok and walks to the beach. Only he's recognized. The Bible continues, he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician race. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, for saying that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And so she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon called her. This woman, and we don't know her name, she's identified by her otherness, this Syrophoenician Gentile woman. She needs help. Jesus tries to ignore her in the story, the same story in Matthew. The disciples keep trying to ignore her, keep telling Jesus to send her away. Jesus tries to ignore her, but she persists. And then he calls her names. Jesus's beliefs get in the way of his compassion. Jesus's beliefs, his cultural and religious beliefs, his bias, his unquestioned beliefs leave him ignoring and attacking a woman who needs help. He's doing what he accuses the religious leaders of doing at the start of this chapter. He's holding on to human precepts as doctrine and abandoning the commandment of God. This story is not the only occasion that Jesus' bias is racism surfaces. When he sends out the disciples before this, he says to them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus notes, if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? It's not a compliment. He continues, when you're praying, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. And then he says, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, and what will we drink, and what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive after all these things, and indeed, 
the heavenly parent knows what you need. In summary, Jesus is saying again and again, don't interact with the Gentiles. Don't act like the Gentiles. Don't pray like the Gentiles. Jesus lumps an entire group of people together and believes that they are inferior. That is racism. It's bigotry. My friends, Jesus changes. He listens. He believes. He changes. In this story, Jesus is changed because of a sass-mouthed woman. They're my favorite kind. This woman refuses to be ignored. She refuses to let insults have the last word, refuses to let prejudices get in the way of God, of openness, of inclusion, hope, and healing. Jesus is changed. All those verses about Gentiles that I just read to you, they're before this story. After this story, we read of Jesus quoting again from Isaiah's sermon, and this time, this time, here's what Jesus says. He's referencing himself, he says. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He continues. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Jesus' vision of the way of God is expanding through the experiences he has with this Syrophoenician Gentile woman. He goes from sending the disciples to go nowhere among the Gentiles or enter no town of the Samaritans to sending them with these instructions. Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. Jesus' vision is transformed. His welcome is expanded all because of a woman who would not keep quiet. A woman who kept persisting. A woman who resisted the role and the limitations handed to her. Jesus is changed. If Jesus can change, can we? And Texas. Let me be clear, I do not mean in any way to compare Texas or any of its leaders at any time to Jesus. Jesus, at least since what we now call white people got here, has had more in common with racist Jesus than with Jesus after his encounter with the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus' heart changes. His vision expands. He's confronted by a woman who won't shut up, who won't stay away, who persists and resists and counters his argument in a way that leads him to seeing, that leads him to empathy. We must refuse to give up. Refuse to be ignored, refuse to believe the lies that are being cast off as the commandments of God. God is love. Love and justice and hope. And love and justice and hope are neither passive nor silent.
Covenant book group has just finished reading and discussing Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. Kendi moves the discussion away from identity, I am a racist, or I am not a racist, and toward action, toward thinking my actions are racist or anti-racist. And thus he shifts the conversation out of morality and into behavior. The Syrophoenician woman invited Jesus out of his racism with her faith and perhaps her desperation. She seems to say, can't you see that God is bigger than any origin, any race, bigger than any bias, bigger than where you're from or where I'm from, bigger than what your religion says or what mine says? God is bigger. Big enough to love all and every. Big enough to help and heal and have compassion. She turns Jesus' hurtful words on their head, reminding him that there is enough for everyone. And Jesus changes his behavior. His heart is changed. His heart hears her heart, and he goes into anti-racist action by healing the woman's daughter. What words from our hearts do the Texas legislature and the governor need to hear? What will invite them to change, to have some basic human empathy? to be more intellectually honest, to enact policies that help the people of this state. This week, my heart has mostly had screams and impolite phrases for them. I'm hopeful I can move into action soon. What words do we need to do Sometimes we get it wrong. No doubt our own bias, our racism, our heteronormative patriarchal culture sometimes speaks from our hearts. And when it does, when ignoring, name-calling, misperceptions, and lies show up within us, we must be brave enough to acknowledge them and to change. We will get it wrong. And when we do, we must and we can change. We will also get it right. And sometimes when we're getting it right, we'll be ignored. We'll be called names and written off. And when that happens, we must be like this courageous woman and persist and resist and find ways to evoke empathy. What words do we need to say? What stories will evoke compassion? What words will lead to more empathy, to anti-racist policies, to actually valuing the living with health care and education, to caring for the least of these? What actions do we need to take? 
Jesus lets his bias, his preconceived beliefs about Gentiles, his culturally limited understanding of them, and he lets these things get in the way, and his heart speaks his bias. But a determined woman prophet shows him the expansive love of God, and he changes. We can follow their example. Change is possible, even in Texas. Amen.